looking at that. Uh, let's, uh, again, let's take a minute to pray as we get started. Father God, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for the fact that it uh, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We're thankful that Scripture is divinely inspired by you and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And so today, God, as we look at your word, we want to first invite the Holy Spirit to freely work in our hearts and minds, help us to be free from distraction, to be able to concentrate on the word that you would have for us today. And we pray, God, that we would be encouraged, that we would be built up, that we would be strengthened through this time together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last Sunday, uh, we saw how Joshua was out doing a little personal reconnaissance around Jericho, uh, and this was a courageous act as he would have been all alone in enemy territory, four miles away from any support or, or help, and, and one, of course, can surmise that the reason Joshua was out there is that he was looking for the best possible way to attack Jericho. I mean, were there any weaknesses in their defense, uh, any vulnerable points in the city, any geological features that might give them an edge or an advantage as they attacked? Was there anything that could help them at all because Jericho was the defensive stronghold protecting that part of Canaan? And during that mission, as he was out there sneaking around, the captain of the hosts of the Lord uh, confronted him. And, and in that encounter, uh, we saw that this would have actually been a physical manifestation of God himself. And uh, chapter 5 ended with Joshua being commanded to remove his sandals, which would have been an act of worship and reverence before God. And we saw that Joshua's heart was right as, as he did not only that, but asked the, the right and the most important question, which was, what has my Lord to say to his servant? He, he was fully submitting himself to God and whatever God wanted him to do. So now, now, after that, we are waiting to find out what the captain is going to say to Joshua. But before we hear the captain's reply, we read this in verse 1 of chapter 6. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. Now, Jericho as a city has uh, several uh, distinguishing uh, features about it. Uh, for one, at 810 feet below sea level... It was then and is currently now the lowest city in the world in terms of elevation. Um, and, uh, and for that matter, it is the oldest still occupied, currently functioning city in the world. A lot of the other ancient cities you read about Bible have come and gone and disappeared. Jericho is still, uh, still there, the oldest functioning um, city, although the exact site of Jericho has kind of migrated a little bit because it's been destroyed and rebuilt many, uh, many times throughout its history. Now, what made Jericho such a desirable location is that it has a, a bunch of natural springs that bubble up in that area. And, and of course, Jericho is, is sur completely surrounded by desert, rocky hill country. So even in that 
in that desert area, it, it's this oasis of agriculture. I mean, with the water, they could uh, take care of their herds. They could plant crops and, and take care of them right in that area. And so it, it was a very desirable place. In fact, it was called the City of Palms, uh, mainly due to the, the numerous date palms that provided a great uh, food source and, and whatnot for them as well. So that was Jericho. But for military purposes, it was also incredibly important. It was located just above one of the natural, affordable uh, places in the Jordan River, um, four miles up in the, in the hill country there. And so as such, it acted as a defense against an invasion in that uh, southeastern part of the country. And Canaan, the country itself, was divided by a small mountain range. And from Jericho, there was a road that went up across the tops of the mountains there. And so if an a army was able to take Jericho, then they could easily go up that road in the mountains and effectively divide the country in half so that as they were working on one half, uh, they could keep the other half from coming over and, and helping them out, you know, divide and conquer, uh, a military strategy that has been copied and used ever since. And I say copied and used since this is the oldest recorded incident of that particular strategy being employed. And we have no exact records uh, of the dimensions of Jericho and the wall that Joshua would have encountered. Um, there have been all kinds of extensive digs, uh, been uh, archaeological digs done around that site. You know, everybody's trying to find these walls that have fallen over. And so far, uh, they have not been able to find any, any walls fallen over. Now, our guide, when we went to Israel, said, duh, uh, you're not going to find them. Uh, the rock is, is the primary and in many cases about the only building material around. So if a city like Jericho was destroyed through a natural catastrophe or invading armies or whatever else, as, as was true of that city multiple times, when you go to rebuild, you're going to sift through all the rubble and take all the available rock there. You're not going to go to the quarry and cut all kinds of brand new rock and, and then do that. You're going to use up everything that's available first. And, and so it just makes sense that uh, all those rocks have been used and reused multiple times all over the place. So the only thing that you would be able to find is the foundations that have been built down into the ground. And so far, archaeologists have found 18 different foundations uh, for walls for Jericho. Uh, so which ones were, uh, which one of those foundations was there when Joshua came? Well, again, they can't tell exactly for sure. There's a couple that could be, but through uh, pottery shards and some other things, they got a pretty good idea uh, of what would have been there. And, and so chances are what Joshua would have seen is, is a city that was about eight to 10 acres in size. Okay. Now to visualize that, uh, picture this, a football field is 1.1 acres. So if you take the football field over there, add two more beside it, and then two more rows of that, that's all the bigger Jericho was. A typical city block is about two and a half acres. So basically you're talking four city blocks. Okay? That's the city of, of Jericho. And, and that doesn't seem uh, very big to us or like it would hold much of a population. I mean, on our typical city block, right, we've got eight to ten houses. Maybe if you average four people per house, you know, you got 32 to 40 people living on a block. 
Uh, that's not the way it would have been in Jericho. You pack a lot of people in in those ancient times and in that particular culture. In fact, archaeologists uh, uh, guess uh, that there would estimate that there would have been approximately 200 to 250 people living per acre, per football field, uh, in a city like that. Their houses would not have been a great deal bigger than this stage, maybe, maybe one more row of, of uh, staging out and stuff, and that's about it. And there would have been a lot of people living into the, that one house. And, and then beyond that, you would have had quite a few dwelling places outside the walls of Jericho. And all of those people, when the threat of invasion showed up, would have come into Jericho before they shut up the city and locked the gates, and they were living in there as well. So in that small city, on the very low side, estimates are there was at least 1,800 people and probably closer to two to 3,000 people living in Jericho. Now, those defensive walls that they would have come up to, uh, the, the, the foundations that they've uh, dug up have varied a little bit in size, but basically, a good educated guess is that Jer uh, Joshua would have faced a wall about six feet thick and 20 to 26 feet high. I mean, that's a pretty impressive wall uh, for them to try to uh, get into. And the main site of Jericho, even though it's shifted a little bit, uh, within the main site of Jericho, one of the largest natural springs bubbled up right in the middle of the city. So the people inside, even though the, the wall was shut off from anything outside, they would have had plenty of water. And remember, we read back in chapter 3 that it was the time of the harvest. So there would have been a lot of food already brought in and stored in the city. Therefore, any siege against the town, any type of blockade, it would have taken at least a year, if not longer, before it would have been effective at all against them. And that would have given all the other peoples of Canaan time to unite their armies and get together and, in a united front, attack Israel, which would have left them in a bad and vulnerable position. After all, remember, they're camped with their backs up against the Jordan River. And so they needed to take Jericho, and it had to be taken quickly. And there would have been no way, as Joshua had done his reconnaissance, for him to do that. I mean, again, as you saw in verse 1, it says the city was tightly Shut up. There was a single gate to the city, and it was never open. Nobody went out. Nobody came in. So there was no vulnerable time for an attack. The walls would have been protected by soldiers with bows and arrows and probably some large rocks to drop on anybody that uh, uh, ventured too close by. So when Jer Joshua uh, encountered the captain of the host of the Lord and fully submitted to him, and he asked that question, what do you want me to do? Well, now we get to find out God's brilliant military strategy for uh, taking down this seemingly impenetrable stronghold. But first, he, he lets Joshua know that, hey, this will in fact happen. Look at verse 2. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. So you can imagine the excitement beginning to grow in Joshua's heart at, as he hears these words and he's thinking, oh man, this is great. I don't have a single good plan on how we're going to do this and now God's going to show me what I need to do. And so God lays out the plan starting in verse 3. You shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do this 
or do so for six days. And seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, every man straight ahead. Now, we, we have no idea what uh, Joshua's initial reaction was uh, to God's attack plan. I mean, he might have been thinking something like, okay. Uh, but what we do know is that he immediately obeyed. Uh, no, matter, no matter what he may have initially thought uh, about the plan. And the plan, it says, included all the men of war. If you remember back to Joshua chapter 4, verse 13, we found it says about 40,000 equipped for war crossed for battle before the Lord to the desert plains of Jericho. 40,000. And, and, and at the high side, the population of Jericho would have been 3,000, right? So this would have seemed like a tremendously large force to the people of Jericho. But the people of Jericho would have still felt rather secure inside their walled city. And no doubt there was this hope being held out by the people uh, of Jericho that, that Israel would realize how formidable and impenetrable of a stronghold they had and just give up. But that didn't happen. Now Joshua took this plan from God and he, he first approached the priests and gave them their job and their duty and then he told the army what they were supposed to do. And the army was going to lead uh, with seven priests carrying the ram's horns, the, a shofar. This is, this is one from Israel. Uh, they probably would have had the, the bigger ones to make a louder uh, sound, but I can't make a very good sound. It kind of sounds like, uh, well, you don't want to hear it. Uh, um, but I'm sure they were playing a nice little tune. Doing that. Uh, as, as they were doing that, they carried the ram's horns. And, uh, and, and then uh, uh, priests, four priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant behind them. And then a rear guard, more of the army there. So you got army, seven priests, four priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and more army. And that's, that's the direction that uh, God gave them, and that's what they were doing. Now, I find it interesting as I read through this account, nowhere in there does it say that Joshua told them the whole plan. He just gave them their instructions for that day. Now, he might have. It doesn't say one way or the other. I mean, in our mind, it makes sense that he would have at least filled them in. Okay, here's why we're doing this. Here's what's happening. But that's not what it says. It just says he told them, here's what I want you to do today. And they did that. And, and you know, I, I often uh, think that's kind of the way God works with us, right? He, do, he, he doesn't necessarily give you a whole lot beyond one day at a time. And, and we're just called to obey like, like that army did. Now, after lining them up, Joshua gave one final command, verse 10. But Joshua commanded the people saying, you shall not shout, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word proceed from your mouth. Nothing until the day I tell you, shout. And then you shall shout. Now, some people have said that what we have here is the first recorded incident of psychological warfare, right? Jericho was all tightly shut up. 
And they are expecting Israel to do something. And so there would have been this, this pervasive tenseness throughout the city. They know the army's there. They know it's amassing. We've shut up the place. We've got all our defenses going. But man, we're just waiting for something. And you've got these hyper-vigilant guards up on the walls just watching for anything, anything out of the ordinary, any movement. So, you know, you can see one of the guards, he's up there watching, you know, the roadway that goes down to where their camp is. And he sees a little bit of dust rising uh, down over the horizon and so he is just peering down there closely and sure enough pretty soon he sees the heads of the warriors starting to come up over the horizon and, and you can just tell in, in adrenaline pumped body he turns around and shouts out to everybody here they come you know get ready and, and so they all are watching now and getting ready for them to go and and they see this incredibly long line of soldiers forty thousand. Uh, who knows how wide, uh, you know, how many were marching in a row, but it would have still been a really long line of soldiers and they come marching up to the city and they're all watching. And, and then they get close to the city. I, I imagine they stay out far enough so they're out of bow range and they stop. And then they turn parallel with the wall and start marching around. And uh, as they did that, they would see only one, and hear only one sound, they, these priests playing music on the trumpets, leading four other priests who are carrying this gold ornate box in front of them. And there's no attack. There's no battering ram brought to break down the door. There's no siege mound being built to go up against the walls. There's nothing but silent marching around the city. I mean, normally the, the soldiers would be shouting threats and making war whoops and all that kind of thing, but there was nothing but the priests blowing on these ram's horns. As I said, the the city was, you know, somewhere right around nine acres in size, so it would have probably taken about 40 minutes to walk around that, maybe a little longer, depending on how far out uh, they stayed. I mean, obviously, far enough to be out of harm's way. And I'm certain the guards were just watching closely, waiting for this attack to happen, waiting for any type of movement. And with that big of army, you would, you would guess that at, at least at one point, they were completely surrounded by Israeli soldiers. But when the first soldiers made their first complete circuit around the city, they turned, started marching back down the road. And all the soldiers followed along. Can, can you imagine the discussion amongst the Jericho soldiers on the wall as, as they watch, you know, the final Israeli soldier get there and, and march away? And they're going, what, what was that all about, right? What, what were they doing? I mean, did they think we were going to leave a door open or something they could sneak in? Were they, were they looking for some weakness? Obviously, they saw how powerful, how strong our walls were. Um, you know, we don't care how big their army was. They're not getting in here. And maybe, maybe they hoped that, that, that these people had decided, yeah, we've got to look at the walls all the way around and there's just nothing for us to do and so we're going to leave. Maybe there was a little bit of cautious optimism in Jericho thinking, yeah, they figured out they can't, they can't get in here any way at all. 
But, you know, obviously they were smart enough to keep the place still locked up tight. And the next morning, the same thing happens all over again. The guards up on the wall. Here they come again. Everybody get ready. And the same thing happens. One circuit around. And the next day. And the next day. Six straight days. And now everybody inside Jericho is getting just a little bit spooked. Uh, you know, this, this is strange. This is weird. This is kind of freaking us out here because we don't know what's going on here. We know they're up to something, but we have no idea what it is. And Rahab and her family, remember her? She was told to stay locked in her house. So they would have been locked up in the house this whole time, not knowing when the attack was going to come and wondering, was Israel going to keep their promise to them to keep them safe? So the next day, day seven, the same thing happens. Jericho soldiers are beginning to wonder, oh man, how long is this going to go on? But then something different happens that day. Look at verse 15. Then on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawning of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times, meaning this is now the seventh day in a row that they've done this. Uh, But then the verse goes on. Only on that day, they marched around the city seven times. So here you're inside. Yeah, here they go again. Look at them go. Now they're coming around. They get around to the front one. Well, wait a minute. This is different. Now now they're going around again. And now the tensions would have really begun to rise inside the city. There would have been a a fevered peak uh, of what was going on here because this is new. And the guys just kept marching around and around and around, silent. Nothing was going on. They didn't hear anything until one voice rings out. At the seventh time, when the priest blew the trumpet, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And everyone screamed as loud as they could, or at least I'm assuming they all screamed as loud as they could. I mean, that's what I would have done if I'd have been one of those soldiers and had all this pent-up energy and we'd been marching around these cities all this time. And here's what it says in verse 20. So the people shouted and the priest blew the trumpet and when the people heard the sound of the trumpet the people shouted with a great shout to me that's screaming as loud as you can that's that's how i interpret that and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city every man straight ahead and they took the city now you have to know that a lot of the jericho soldiers would have died in the collapse of the wall itself but the rest were simply overwhelmed by israel's superior numbers not to mention that the israeli soldiers would have been all pumped up and ready to go at this point where everybody in jericho would have been shaken up and 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 freaking out and and quaking in their boots and so it just was uh, this total rout and as promised Uh, Rahab and her family were spared after the walls came crashing down. The two spies went in and brought them out of the city before it was destroyed, according to verse 25. However, Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all she had, Joshua spared, and she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So it's a great biblical account, isn't it? I mean, it, it would make an incredible movie. But maybe you're thinking... Well, yeah, it's exciting and all, but I really don't see what it has to do with me today. There are many that believe that Jericho makes a good picture of the spiritual strongholds that we do have to deal with today. One author I read, a pastor named James Montgomery Boyce, he put it this way, there are fortresses 
of evil in our land, in our churches, and we must confess in ourselves. So, how do we deal with these strongholds of evil? Well, I think we can learn a lesson from the way that Israel dealt with Jericho because, you know, walking around a city in silence is, is definitely not a, a, a typical military strategy. And it's not the means that God would normally use. In fact, this, this tactic was never again repeated. It was done only this once. So I think God did it on purpose to make some points to them and to us. So ask yourself a question. Why would God have them walk around the city day after day in total silence? Okay, Silence as far as talking and, and voices, that is. I mean, the, the only sound they would have heard would have been the blowing on the ram's horns, which would have reminded them of the Ark of the Covenant, which, as we've already seen, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. So as they heard the horns, they would have been thinking about the presence of God with them. But no talking. That would have meant that they weren't distracted at all. They wouldn't have been focused on yelling at the enemy and taunting them. They wouldn't have been diverted with you know, chit-chat with the fellow soldiers around them. Walking in silence allows you to think and to focus on what's happening. And as the trumpets were blowing, they would have been thinking in terms of God and His presence. And every lap around that city would have reinforced the idea that there's no way that we can do this apart from God. These walls are too high. They're too strong. There's no way we can get at the enemy to defeat him. If there is to be any victory at all, it has to be because of God. And they would have realized that they were totally dependent upon God to act. And I believe the same is true for us as we wage war against the spiritual strongholds in this world and in our life. Maybe, maybe you have a stronghold of some besetting sin in your life. Ones where you have promised God over and over again, oh, I'll never do that again. And then again it happens. And it's a stronghold in your life, some weakness. You've struggled, you've gritted your teeth, you've tried as hard as you can to overcome and to change, but the walls are too high, the defender's too strong, it seems like to you. Perhaps it is time for you to be silent, to focus on the presence of God and to realize that the only way victory will come is through Him. He must collapse the walls that you cannot overcome. Being silent before God is hard. Now, that doesn't mean, though, that there's nothing for us to do. There is a second point as well, right? It takes complete obedience. I mean, there are no circumstances, none whatsoever that you can think of in this world that this tactic of walking around the walls would not be a completely strange way to try to take a city. And yet Joshua... And all the people responded in obedience, not just once or twice, but repeatedly, all the way to the end. I have a book in my office I've read years ago and, and go back to every now and then called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. 
It's a book about discipleship, about what it really means to follow Jesus Christ. Being a Christian and following Jesus is not about an occasional emotional high here and a, and a good effort over there now and then. It's about obedience over the long haul. What do you suppose would have happened at Jericho if the soldiers, after two or three or, or, or eight trips around Jericho, had said, this is stupid. Nothing's happening. They're just laughing at us. I quit. I'm going to do it my own way. See, they would have missed the powerful working of God to bring victory in their life. I often wonder if the same isn't true for us. Do we miss the awesome things that God wants to do in our life because we're too impatient to stick it out with God and His plan and His way to the very end? Do we think that we have a better plan? God, you're obviously not taking care of things, so hey, let me do that my way. I mean, after all, God's plans might seem kind of strange to us, right? He talks about weird things like loving your enemies making ourselves a slave to others, forgiving those who hurt us, even those who don't deserve it, and accepting one another just as Christ accepted us. From the world's point of view, I mean, those are definitely strange tactics in getting ahead. But they are God's clear path to victory. And we may not see results on the first lap around, or the second, or the eighth, or the tenth, But if we choose to obey God all the way to the end, there will come a time when we will hear the words, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And yes, we are called to strive to labor and do our best, but the Bible makes it clear that it's not our efforts that will bring victory, but rather that, that we will experience victory through faith. Obedient faith. A faith that is proven out by our actions. I mean, that's what Hebrews 11.30 says about this incident. It says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. You see, see, after they had obediently done everything they were supposed to do, by faith, those walls came down. It's an obedience that sticks with God's plan to the very end. And in the same way, it is faith. Faith in God, faith in His promises, in His path, in His plans that brings victory in our own lives. The Apostle John made that clear in 1 John 5, 4. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. A faith that chooses to be obedient even when God's plan runs contrary to the wisdom of this world. So you might feel like you're making laps around a wall and nothing is happening. But keep walking by faith. There are no walls that we will encounter that God's power cannot be crashing down. So God's brilliant military strategy for taking the city is this. Let me do the work that you can't do. And you simply obey me. Let's pray. Father God, Again, we, we thank you for how your word teaches and instructs us. We thank you that we can be encouraged, but we can at the same time be challenged. 
And it's our desire that we would grow and we would mature in our faith. So we pray that you would do that in us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with me? Everything to God in prayer.